long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorff, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I'm joined by the professor of law at Chase Law School, Ken Katkin. Ken, welcome to the Midweek Politics Guys show. It is so great to be back, Trey. Well, as we were kind of teasing about uh, on the weekend show, this is going to be our, for the two of us, our last last show of the 2023. Uh, and then, of course, on December 30th, we'll be back with our next weekend show. So, again, just as a reminder, uh, you know, our next weekend show won't happen until the, the 30th with Jay and or with, with Jay and Mike. Um, so, you know, Ken, for our purposes, what we've been doing on this show, uh, we've been you know, we always break away from the from the news cycle for our, our midweek show, our supporters midweek show. And we've been going through the Constitution, and we have now been making our way through the First Amendment. And, and one of the things that's always funny to me, right, like you, you get your, your high school student first coming into college, and you're like, okay, so, you know, what, what's your First Amendment right? And, and, the, and, of course, the one and only thing anybody ever says is, oh, something about speech. <laughs> right? Now, there's a lot of speech stuff there, but that's what we've been dealing with so far. We've been doing our First Amendment protections. Uh, and so this week, we get to that point where we're kind of at this this unique juncture where we are both doing speech, but we're also doing the next phrase in that system, which is press. So the First Amendment to the United States uh, Constitution, it gives us a speech protection, but also a unique press protection. Now, that, in fact, is fundamentally different than many other Western democracies, which just has a singular uh, uh, speech protection. But as we were preparing for this show, Ken, you were revealing something in the way that you think about this that was unique for me. I think for many listeners, uh, you know, even, even if, if, you do, if you go out right now and you grab, I know all of you are going to do this, if you grab, you know, the newest uh, uh, te- uh, con law or, or civil liberties textbook, so that textbook, if you grab that textbook, it, it's going to have distinct chapters and items on you know, press and on, on, on speech. And they're going to distinguish that. You're going to have like things like, we're going to talk about this prior restraint in your speech area. Uh, and, and then you're going to have uh, different items in your, in your speech. But you, you set that up a little bit differently. And of course, this, I mean, this is your area. So talk to us about this distinction, because that's what we're dealing with today. We're, we're continuing speech, but we're also including press. But maybe that's not as big of a deal as some of us might think. Yeah, I, I tend to think of uh, freedom of speech and freedom of the press as mostly coextensive with each other rather than separate from each other, because although there are a lot of uh, First Amendment cases that involve uh, media uh, defendants, typically, um, you know, where, where you know, one, the, the, the person who's in court is, is, is a member of the press, um, usually the holdings in those cases uh, would apply equally to members of the press and non-members of the press. So, in, you know, we're going to talk about some of these cases today. We'll talk about the Pentagon Papers case where the government sues the New York Times to stop them from publishing the Pentagon Papers. Or we're going to talk about the Fowell versus Flint case where 
the Reverend Jerry Falwell sues uh, Hustler magazine to stop them from publishing uh, mean cartoons about them. And in, in those kind of cases, although you actually do have a press defendant in the case, um, the court's decisions on whether the First Amendment does or doesn't protect those particular publications would, would generally apply the equally to, to, to the press and to people who are not, not the press. That if, if there's a right of the press to publish something, it's usually coextensive with the right of anybody else to say or publish the same thing, to say or write the same thing. So I, I don't tend to think of those cases as carving out any, any unique rule for the press. I think there's really only a small handful of cases that carve out kind of unique rules for the press that wouldn't apply to people who aren't the press. And those mostly have to do with uh, 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 issues about um, what's sometimes called reporter's privilege, uh, the, the ability of reporters to not reveal who their sources are or, 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 or what information they have or things like that. So, But when we're talking about the, the right of the press to publish something, usually anything the press could publish, that would mean that people who aren't the press could also publish it. So I, I usually think of those more as freedom of speech cases. Now, one of the things that maybe comparatively seem a little bit different is, is that other countries, even democracies, seemingly have uh, tighter prior restraints often on uh, the press. Do you think that is related to, to not having that? Or do you think that's just a different kind of jurisprudence that comes out? Well, I, I I think I would consider that all to be freedom of the speech, freedom of speech. Also, I wouldn't particularly think of that as freedom of the press because it, it, we would we have the same rules under our constitution against prior restraints. No matter whether the the entity who's being restrained would be, is the press or is just any ordinary person, right? So the the government would have to meet exactly the same very high constitutional bar if they wanted to put um, a prior restraint um, on, on this program, which might be considered the press, versus if they wanted to put a prior restraint on what you or I wanted to say in our classrooms, you know, which, which where we wouldn't be considered the press, right? There, there wouldn't be any difference in the legal standard that would apply. So for, for that reason, um, I, I don't think that the, our, our, our rules against prior restraint really um, are unique to r rules that protect the press. I think that's just part of our general strong protection of, of freedom of speech. So in that vein, what we're going to be continuing to do then is, is we're going to be talking and thinking about broadly the speech and press protections that we have and what some of those limits might be. And that's what we were dealing with last time as well, but there's, we didn't really get to all of it. As a, as a matter of fact, this is kind of the crux of it, right? We, we had talked last time about how the, the fundamental issue is not what you can do, but what you can be uh, 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 punished for after the fact, right? Um, and that, that held true when we were talking about religion as well. As a matter of fact, uh, one of my favorite, I don't, for those of you who don't know, William Blackstone is this really famous English jurist, and he kind of sums things up this way. He says, quote, the liberty of the press, or in this case, maybe press or speech, consists in laying no previous restraint upon publications and not in freedom from censure, criminal matter when published, end quote. And, and so there's this kind of idea that, of course, you have the right to say things, but there can be, be limits to that. And, and you had mentioned uh, uh, one of those in terms of Hustler Magazine versus Falwell, where we have deals of like with issues with libel. Uh, we, we can deal with issues with national security, right? Could we stop people, uh, for example, in the, in the case of New York Times versus the United States, or we think of it today as being the Pentagon Papers, you know, could, could there be certain instances when we can institute 
uh, uh, prior restraint. So we've got some of those issues going on here, Ken. So where should we start, you think? Uh, yeah, let's let's do the um, maybe start with the cases on speech torts. Um, torts we'll like libel, maybe. Live, yeah, libel, defamation, and then we can tell the listeners about some other weirder weirder speech. Yeah, torts I like that. I like yeah. <clears throat> So um, li- li- libels are really good when you, we, again, we, we had mentioned and talked about uh, 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 Falwell versus, excuse me, that's a, uh, um, that's what magazine versus yeah. Falwell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because in that case, what, I mean, this is a, this is one, as a matter of fact, that I, I teach in my class. Um, so Hustler Magazine, you know, and th- this is a, another little interesting historic note, uh, Ken. Uh, once upon a time when I first taught this, just putting that case up. Everybody knew what I was talking about. It might not be the case anymore that everybody knows what Hustler Magazine is. <laughs> we were talking, and many of my students are very confused. They're like, well, what is this? You know, like, what's a magazine anyway? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a joke, but I am not teasing. Uh, and, and so uh, Hustler Magazine was a, a primarily a pornographic magazine, right? Uh, what I mean by that was there was a lot. It, was, it had sex acts in it, right? And so that's kind of what d- differentiated it from, say, things like other magazines at the time, like Playboy, that were primarily non-sex uh, acts, right? They were, there was nudity, but non-sex acts. And what made Hustler Magazine, Hustler Magazine, was a magazine that included sex acts in it. But that was not the only thing that it had. There were other bits to it. Uh, and so Larry Falwell is the owner and publisher, uh, excuse me, uh, Larry Flint. Larry Flint. I got that. Sorry. Yeah, Flint yeah, yeah. is, you know, get it all together. He is the publisher of uh, uh, magazine. And so what ends up happening, have you ever actually ever seen the parody ad that is the heart of the case before, Ken? Oh, yeah. With the Campari rum. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, uh, 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 and, um, so there's this liquor, right? And so they had all of these ads where the whole thing was a double entendre, right? The idea was it's some famous celebrity back in the day, and it's talking about their first time. But the, the, the outcome of it all, of course, is, is it's their first time with, you know, with the alcohol, <laughs> right? You know, it'd be kind of today like, you know, Taylor Swift is talking about her first time with uh, Kelsey or whatever, right? But it's not really that. It's actually with her, you know, new drink or whatever. Uh, but in this case, what ends up happening is it is, in fact, about and it's about Jerry Falwell. Now, another item here is to recognize he was the original founder of places like Liberty University and an outspoken part of kind of what you might call uh, the, the, the evangelical right. Um, and the, back then, the moral majority would have been, I think, even more of the, of the terminology that would have been used. And so this, ha- this ad is all about him getting it on with his mom in an outhouse (laughs) (laughs) before getting drunk to go uh, preach all that BS uh, uh, that he does in the pulpit. And so unsurprisingly, you know, Jerry Falwell's not happy about this. And so no one, no one in this case, of course, is claiming that you don't have, you know, you have speech rights, but you don't get to defame me in the process of having your speech rights. So what, what, what's the outcome of all? I mean, because again, you know, I, I wouldn't like things in print about me, you know, uh, you know, having sex with my mom doggy style in the, in the outhouse with crap, right? Like, I mean, that would make me upset. So what happens? 
Well, first, I got to just just because I have to be technical about this. So although Fowell did bring claims for defamation, he also brought one for intentional infliction of emotional distress. Oh, that's and, true. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Thank you. And, Thank you. And, and, and the, the court only had to reach the First Amendment issue on the intentional infliction of emotional distress because the he couldn't make out the elements of defamation, no matter whether or not um, uh, the First Amendment applied here or not. Um, the 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 um, the the lower courts had already found that um, nobody nobody could actually believe that this ad was literally true. And in fact, I think that it was a I mean it was a parody ad. And I think you know besides showing as you said Falwell with his mother in an outhouse getting it on before they got drunk, um, which seems not plausible, it, it also it also said right on it parody not to be taken seriously. So just on the on the basic element of whether that could be defamatory. The, the lower courts had found that it, it couldn't be defamatory because it couldn't be believed, right? There'd have to be some element of that some readers would actually have to believe that it was true. It was a true allegation before you could get into the question of whether it's falsely harming someone's reputation. Right. So, so, so that that claim was was rejected uh, just as, as a tort claim. But the, the the claim that gets the case to the First Amendment um, First Amendment case to the Supreme Court is that the lower courts did find that um, even though the um, the 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 uh, cartoons could not have been taken by any reader to be literally true, and therefore couldn't have couldn't have harmed uh, Fowell's reputation because couldn't have been believed. Um, that it could have um, uh, inflicted uh, uh, emotional distress on Fowell. That it's it's very hurtful for Fowell to look at a picture like this. It's very hurtful for Fowell to know that thousands or tens of thousands of people who read Hustler are, are looking at this picture, and even though they're not believing it to be literally true, they're they're laughing at him, um, and that that's just kind of hurtful for him to be held up um, in that kind of light. And and that that kind of thing can sometimes be a valid uh, tort claim under a tort called intentional infliction of emotional distress. So, so, so plaintiffs um, can sue and get a civil recovery, uh, get money damages for, for that kind of thing. Um, and so that was the, the issue at the Supreme Court. And the, the Supreme Court held, and, and we'll have to tie this back to the Sullivan case that we're going to talk about next, probably. The, the Supreme Court held that there's a, a, a high standard in intentional infliction of emotional distress cases that, that the First Amendment requires. So that even if, even if state law on its own would would allow a plaintiff like Falwell to recover uh, uh, money for, for 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 something like this? Um, that that because the First Amendment uh, protects the rights of um, uh, protects the rights of speakers and publishers uh, to engage in satire or parody, including mean satire or parody. Um, that that um, the mere fact that some people are going to be offended by it. Uh, can't be um, enough uh, uh, to, to, to find that it loses its First Amendment protections. And one of the, one, to me, one of the most interesting things about the way the court writes the opinion is it's a unanimous, unanimous opinion. It's written by Chief Justice Rehnquist. And Chief Justice Rehnquist was probably on that court the, the most skeptical member of that court uh, on First Amendment claims. He dissented from a lot of First Amendment cases. Um, but in this case, he he wrote the majority opinion defending uh, Larry Flint's right to publish this cartoon in Hustler. And he part of the way he does that is he goes through the, the long uh, history of very mean 
uh, political cartoons in this country. And he, you know, he goes back to the election of 1800 and, and shows that, you know, you had political cartoons in the papers in 1800 that referred to uh, Thomas Jefferson as the Negro president and and showed uh, all of his uh, illegitimate African-American children, you know, of which there may have probably only been one, but um, but they would show him with dozens of them and stuff like that. And then this, the, yeah, just to be this, clear, he, he had more than one. Did he have more than one? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Think he, he, had, he had a bunch of brothers because some and uh, some of the girls ended up passing. There's a, actually a whole. There's an interesting book about her passing. So yeah, to be clear, he in fact uh, with Sally Hemings, I think ended up having six children. Whoa! Oh, whoa. so those so those cartoons in his own time were more accurate than I realized. Yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just a heads up. That that is yeah, in fact yeah, the case. There's a lot of yeah. that's an area I'm interested in. So yeah, but yeah, heads up. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah. So 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 Redquist goes through all that and says, you know, very mean political cartooning that exaggerates the truth in order to make political points has been an important part of our American legacy of how people get ideas across, and it does play an important role in political discourse. Even when um, even when the the claims are exaggerated for the sake of humor, because everybody understands that the claims are exaggerated for the sake of humor, but everybody also understands the political points that are underlying the claims. So he's sort of anticipating at this time, you know, people like Rush Limbaugh who are about to come next in our history and did, did a lot of that kind of exaggerating for the purpose of making political claims. And and uh, Rehnquist is sort of saying that this is all important to protect, so that um, it it uh, it's possible for. A, a mean political cartoon or some kind of parody or satire to lose its First Amendment protection, but the the bar ends up being very very high and and uh, ends up being the, the same as in the the bar for uh, defamation claims. Um, and just to kind of cut to the chase now, but then we'll talk about defamation next. That that's going to include having to show that um, there was falsity and harm to reputation. And so in the in the case of a cartoon like this, you know, it's almost a given that the the, the there's not going to be falsity or harm to reputation if, if a cartoon is not purporting to be literally true, right? If, if, yeah. if a cartoon is saying, this isn't really true, this is just a parody, then there, there's not going to be falsity and harm to reputation. So it's going to wind up always being protected. So we got to move to next is, you know, yeah. what is it, what was the case when it's, when it's not attempting to be kind of that uh, parody. But before we do yeah. that, I need to uh, remind everybody uh, that this is the end of our ad supported preview. So if you want to continue to listen to the show with Ken and myself, we would love for that to be a case, but you need to be a member of the Politics Guys family for that to happen. So if you want to be a supporter, here's what you need to do to finish this conversation. And not only that, but to go back and get access to every single one of our ongoing Constitution series. And we'd love to have you be a part of that. So how do you make that happen? Just go ahead down there in the show notes and you can become a supporter of the Politics Guys. Now, you can also, if you don't want to head there, you can go to patreon.com slash politics, guys, and you'll see all the different uh, things you'll get. Now, one of them, of course, is this show, but also you'll get things like the show ad-free. You want to listen to me do this anymore. That's always a lot of fun, isn't it? So head to patreon.com slash politics, guys, and you can become a supporter of the show and finish this show. Now, there's other ways to support the show as well. You can support us on Venmo where we're at politics, guys. You can also support the show through PayPal. All of those support links, again, are in the show notes, as well as by heading to politicsguys.com slash support. If you're not in a position to get this supporter's exclusive midweek show, but you would like to get that anyway, please just shoot an email to mike at politicsguys.com and he'll get a few things ready for you. 
Well, whether you're a supporter or not, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate this podcast, and share it with, on social media. You can also, of course, always reach us at mail at politicsguys.com with any kinds of questions or issues you have. We're also on social media on Facebook and X. You'll see all of that in the show notes. The executive producers of The Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Marino, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, and Don Oglesby. We'll be back with a new episode on December 30th. I hope you'll join us then.